how about we don't try and make food perfect because it's not perfect, just like life's not perfect. If you're recycling, that's awesome. But you also need to look at all these other pieces and you don't have to be doing them perfectly. The first step is reduce, then reuse, then recycle. They are in order. Get inspired by people fighting to make this world better for everyone. This is Unwasted with Imperfect. Catherine Kellogg, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's a true honor to have you here today. You know, you're an author, you're an activist, you're a beacon of hope for those of us that feel really overwhelmed by the amount of trash in the modern world. So first off, I just want to say thank you for your content and the message you put out there. I think it's really important and it's honestly been really helpful for me personally. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. I just really appreciate all your hard work and what what you're doing out there in the world. For those of you that haven't heard about you or want to learn more about your backstory, how did you end up becoming so passionate about a zero waste lifestyle? Well, I approached it kind of differently from a lot of other people. I had a, a health issue and it really inspired me to start looking at the ingredients and the products I was using and inspired me to look at plastic because plastic is an endocrine disruptor. It interferes with our hormones. And that's when I really started making some lifestyle changes. And when I moved out to California, it kind of all connected for me that the changes I was making for my personal health weren't only better for me, but also better for the health of the environment. So it started It started with you on a personal level. Can you elaborate a bit more on the endocrine disruptor thing? Because I think this is something a lot of people have heard about, but maybe don't understand. Like what, what is the connection between plastic and our hormones? Yeah. So the endocrine system regulates our hormones, like you were saying, and plastic, I think the most common one that people probably have heard of is like BPA. Yep. Uh, but there was a study that was done that found that BPA-free plastics contained more endocrine disrupting uh, chemicals than BPA itself, which was which is really uh, sad. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, they just, they, it's a synthetic estrogen called a xenoestrogen. And so it just tells our body that all this estrogen is being produced when it's, when it's not actually being produced. Does that make a little bit more sense? That does make sense. Yeah. And that's really eye-opening. I remember for me in high school, like Nalgene suddenly were really controversial because of the whole BPA thing. And then, you know, they came out with the clean canteen and the BPA free line and that was like a big turning point or so it felt like, but it seems like it's a bit more complicated than just BPA free is good to go. Yeah, it is a little bit more complicated. Wow. You know, I think a lot of us that are trying to live less wastefully, like have this misconception that like, oh, you need to go out and buy a bunch of zero waste or green versions of stuff you already own. Like, so for those that feel like a bit buried in plastic right now, but don't want to buy a bunch more stuff, like wh what's your advice for kind of going through this transition without just creating more trash and more waste along the way? Yeah. So I think there's a misconception that because we can't buy our way to a more sustainable lifestyle. And it's so important that we take a step back and look at everything that we're consuming because so much of our waste production comes from just this constant buying and buying and buying. And so many of us grew up in kind of a consumeristic household. I mean, that's most of, most of America is like very, very, very consumeristic. So we just think that we can solve all of our problems by buying things. And that's just not necessarily true. Of course, you probably are going to have to buy some things and some investments, but it's important that you really take the time to figure out which product will be right for your life and which one will be right for you and make sure that you use it over and over and over again until you can't use it anymore. Yeah. Are there any other kind of common misconceptions you see about going zero waste that you'd like to clear up for folks? 
Sure. Yeah. So everyone thinks that it's going to be expensive and time consuming. And I can promise you it is neither of those things. Uh, it might be a little time consuming in the beginning as you're learning to build habits and kind of get in the routine. But once you're actually in the habit, it doesn't take any more time. I mean, does it, it doesn't really take any more time to wipe up a spill with a cloth towel than with a paper towel. Like it's the same action. It's just done in a slightly different way. And the other myth is that it's really expensive. And while of course, some of the reusables will be an investment upfront on the whole, I have saved so much money since switching to this lifestyle simply because I've stopped buying just so much stuff. I just don't buy stuff that often. Buying things secondhand is very eco-friendly because one of the most eco-friendly purchases that you can make is something that has already been bought. So of course, shopping secondhand almost always is cheaper. I borrow things instead of going out and buying things libraries, you can rent things instead of buying things, which is another really great way to support support the sharing economy, which is great for our environment. It's just all these really like small things that add up to savings over time. That's such a great takeaway for folks. I know in, in my life, I've found that, for example, with like making uh, food products at home, like I've been making my own kombucha and like there were, yeah, sure. There was a upfront cost of, you know, getting the starter and getting like the big jar to make it in. But once I figured out how to do it, it's like much easier and cheaper than buying it, honestly, because like it's just hanging out kind of fermenting for, you know, a week or so. And then I have a huge batch of kombucha and I'm not doing any work. It's just, you know, kind of chugging away. But it just took that little hurdle to like figure out how to do that. And I, I think there's so many examples of that where you, whether you're talking about your kitchen or your bathroom or your living room where there's something you could just be buying a product over and over, or you could invest in like doing it kind of a, the right way, the long form way. And yeah, definitely. I think it, it, it pays dividends, like doing it the long way. It actually can be a lot more satisfying. Absolutely. And I think once you find those things that truly add value to your life, you're able to kind of cut away those things that don't. So you wind up just streamlining everything. And that's the best way I can describe it. It's like, I almost live, I live a really like streamlined life and it's so hard to explain to someone who doesn't understand. <laughs> that's, that's a good way to put it. Cause I think all of us are familiar with this idea of decision fatigue and kind of choice fatigue. I think it's like the affliction of the modern era almost. There's just way too many options. You know, when you open your inbox or look, you're looking for a movie to watch, you're going to the grocery store. But I think what you're talking about is like kind of the right type of minimalism where yeah, you're just getting rid of extraneous choices to actually create more room for happiness. It's not um, deprivation in a sense, because I think that's a worry people have, you know, that zero waste is going to be a life of deprivation. You know, what do you say to someone who, who says that like, hey, I don't want to miss out on all this fun stuff my friends are doing. How can I be zero waste, but still be kind of going with the crowd? I love that question. Yeah. So I, you know, my friends don't practice zero waste like hardcore at all. They have adopted changes into their lives, but they're not, you know, they're not super zealous, I guess, like I am. And it's real fun because sometimes I go over to parties at their house and it's like a really big party and they have set aside a, like a cup and a plate, a real one for me, just for me over here. Cause they, you know, and it's, it's, I think if you're honest with your friends about what you're trying to do, and as long as you're not trying to shove it down their throat, like everyone's going to be really cool with it. Just share what excites you and share your passion and like your why behind it. And make sure that you especially talk about the personal benefits because I find that people are always like really open and receptive to really selfish reasoning. Like I'm saving so much money or I'm, I love this so much. It helps me. And the more that you can emphasize like the personal benefits, the more open people are going to be to listening to you. 
Yeah, I, I, that's really beautiful. And that's something I saw on your Instagram that I really connected with it. This idea of how to get somebody on board with an environmental movement like this isn't to lecture your way into it. It's not to get up on your pulpit and try to preach to them, but rather you passionately live your life, you know, you be true to your values and, and that's going to be kind of contagious in its in its own way. So I think that's just really powerful. You know, I had a friend who actually did like kind of a zero waste cleanse and she sent me and my girlfriend little... Um, like homemade toothpaste she had made, like the teeth cleaning powder, which I thought was so cool. It wasn't like a luxury preachy thing. It was just like, here's this thing to try. And it was, I'd never thought about making your own uh, toothpaste before. So that, what, what, it was such an eye-opening thing. But because it came from this place of generosity, I was like, I was super receptive to it instead of her being like, hey, you should stop buying that crest or whatever, you know, where it, it comes across as kind of shaming people. Yeah, I love that so much. It's just, yeah, I think the generosity is key. And that's something I love about your content and your kind of, uh, the vibe out in the world is it's always from this place of compassion and generosity. You know, I'd love to to hear a bit about your take on food waste. You know, it's it's a cause obviously we care a ton about at Imperfect. What's been your personal journey with food waste and what are some of the more impactful ways you've found to reduce food waste in your life? Totally. Yes. Food waste is a huge passion of mine. Uh, growing up, we always volunteered with the Arkansas Rice Depot. And my grandmother was like one of the founding members of Food for Kids. And every summer I would go with her and we would ride around in this truck and we would deliver food to needy children all over the state of Arkansas because Arkansas is, I believe, number one. I'm not sure the stats anymore, but at the time they were number one in childhood hunger. So thinking about all the food that goes to waste simply because it's not beautiful when so many people are hungry is just absolutely heartbreaking to me. And I absolutely love what you guys are doing. I've been a member for over a year. I think two years now. Yeah. Um, Because I think it's so, so, so important um, that we get this food and prevent it from going to waste. I mean, oh my gosh, food waste is one of the number one ways that we can help with climate change because so many emissions come from landfills and like organic matter that's unable to decompose. We're also putting all of these resources into this food production that's just going to waste. It's just so mind blowing. And I forgot the question. I just tangented it because I'm so no. passionate about this. <laughs> I don't, you don't have to apologize for tangenting to me. Tangents are like my favorite place. Um, and the, and the passion is awesome. And I, I appreciate the support. Um, and I, I'm curious to hear a bit about kind of your journey through it. And like, what are some, some ways you found to reduce waste in your life that you think folks at home should try? So composting, absolutely. At first, I think that everyone should be composting. And I know it sounds so scary. And I promise I am the worst composter. I am so bad, but it is better to be a bad composter than not compost at all. I'm hoping that's the quote that I get like really famous with. You know what I mean? When the people quote me, that's the one I want. Um, and I have tried every single type of compost bin. I've tried them all. And so for anyone who wants to know, the absolute easiest ones to use is the tumble bin. Just get one that has two pockets. It has like two little doors and then put it on your balcony. It's the best. It's the easiest to use. And you just use the little handle and tumble. That is a great tip. You know, my, my mom actually had a tumbler growing up and I remember in high school, I'd go out to the backyard and help her crank the tumbler. And one, you're right, it's absolutely easy to use. It's super elegant and the functionality of, you know, the tumbling basically mixes it and helps it break down a lot faster. But I think an added benefit folks should know about is it's actually kind of a fun workout. Like you're really getting into it with your kind of shoulder and arm muscles just cranking this compost. So really, uh, you know, two benefits out of one thing there. I love it. Yeah. And then I'm so fortunate now though, that I now have a company that comes and picks my compost up and takes care of it. And you might want to Google that in a town um, to see if there's one in your town because they're typically pretty inexpensive. And this way, all you have to do is put it all in a bucket, put it out and they'll take care of all of it. So you don't have to 
you don't have to get a workout if you if you don't want to. <laughs> for for a lot of folks who composting is kind of like end of the line in terms of like your food waste and your scraps. Can we talk about in your kitchen like like what about like the front of the the journey? Like how do you kind of shop and cook in a way that generates less waste? So the best thing that has helped me prevent a lot of food waste is I meal prep. And I think that's really important. And the secret to meal prepping, I think, because I, you know, as soon as someone's like, you write down a meal and it's like, okay, on Tuesday, you have to eat lasagna. Literally the only thing I don't want on Tuesday is lasagna. Like I just can't stand the idea of eating what I'm told to eat on a certain day. So I prep ingredients instead of meals. So I, this way I have pretty much total freedom. I can go to the grocery store. I just buy whatever's in season and then I take it home and then I just prep those, whether that's chopping up some bell peppers, sauteing some mushrooms, cutting up my, Oh, what are those tiny cabbages called? I just forgot. Brussels Brussels sprouts. sprouts. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, Chopping up the Brussels sprouts, steaming those. And so that way, whenever it comes time to make a meal, I can throw that all in a salad or I can do a bowl or I can take just the peppers and have a snack or I can, or I can use them to make tacos. And so that way I can have any flavor profile that I want. That way I'm not locked into something because I can add the spices at a later date, but I have everything cooked so I can assemble all my meals in about 30 minutes. That's awesome. And that's something I've dabbled with a bit. You know, I used to work in restaurants and like a big part of restaurant work is doing your prep, right? Like all your knife work you do before anyone sets foot in the restaurant. So when you have to cook, you're just kind of assembling stuff rather than chopping and kind of frantically double checking things. And I found at home, like, yeah, if I have a couple Tupperware, you know, containers in the fridge with pre-chopped veggies, it makes like breakfast in the morning or dinner at night so much faster, just kind of having done that ahead of time. So definitely a plug for not, yeah, almost not even meal prep. Like I love what you said. It's ingredient prep. It's just setting yourself up for success down the line. Totally. And that has, that has absolutely been my number one savior. And I also try and prep in different categories. So I try to prep a protein. So I'll probably like make some beans or legumes, maybe some lentils. I prep a carb. So like I'll prep some sweet potatoes or rice or quinoa or something like that. Um, I'll prep my veggies, my fiber, and then I'll prep snacks. Those are kind of the four categories. I make sure that I prepped at least one item in each category. So that way, no matter what I'm in the mood for, I know that I'm going to get a balanced meal because what I would tend to do is I would like only pet prep vegetables and then I wouldn't want to make the other components. So it's like, if I have at least all the components ready to go, then I'm not going to be starving. And it'll also prevent a lot of waste because then I won't want to go out to eat or call for pizza or anything like that. That's really great. I mean, it sounds to me, one, you're saving time. You're also less stressed out about dinner. It sounds like you're eating healthier. And then there's this added benefit of preventing uh, kind of package waste. Like, you know, I, I went through a time where I got super busy with work and I was ordering in a lot and it just killed me how much plastic I got as a result of getting delivered food. And it sounds like what you're talking about is, yeah, you just set yourself up so you can dodge all of those things. But you, like you said, you do have to do the work up front, but it, it, you know, it sounds like it's really paying off for you. Yes. And you're also saving money. That's the fifth one because, yeah, oh my gosh, 100%. takeout yeah. is so expensive. Absolutely. Home cooked food is much cheaper and you get to control what's going into it. You know, it's not going to be covered in salt and high fructose corn syrup because you know, who has high fructose corn syrup in their home kitchen? Like, <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's really awesome. And that actually speaks to something, you know, in a previous guest we had on Joel Gameron, who's this uh, kind of scrappy cooking chef. I love Joel. He's amazing. He's a force for good in the world, you know, as are you. And, And something you both have touched on is this idea of make your kitchen work for you. You know, one of the best ways to make cooking fun 
cheaper and less wasteful is like set yourself up for success. You know, putting in that little bit of time with whether that's preheating your oven when you get home from work or something I've noticed is really helpful is uh, while I'm cooking dinner, I'll start to par cook some stuff for breakfast the next day. So I'll like pre-roast some potatoes or maybe even just chop the bell peppers for the scramble I'm going to make in the morning. And just those little things mean that breakfast goes from like a half hour production to like a 10 minute pretty easy thing. Yes, I'm a huge believer in uh, chop once, eat twice. So yeah. That's that's amazing. We should get that on t-shirts. <laughs> You know, I oh, think. Oh, wait, but my yeah. favorite, my favorite is because I, I use my prepping time to decompress. And so my new slogan is Netflix and chop. <laughs> That's amazing. That's beautiful. Yeah. Mine is like deep podcast zone. It's usually, it's just me in the kitchen. It's just, you know, just kind of zoning out, getting that knife work done. And it's a great way to, yeah, like you said, decompress uh, after work and then also make that night's dinner and the next breakfast or lunch a lot easier as well. Yeah. I, I'd love to, to move beyond the individual level and, and talk about kind of the social level. I think a lot of folks who are very pessimistic or critical of kind of green movements tend to point out that, well, individual change is never really going to move the needle that much because it's really like corporations and the government that are creating the most waste and kind of need to be held accountable. So for folks out there that are, that are thinking along these lines, you know, how should folks expand the impact with their actions? How can they create change at that community level, that state level, or even that, that national level? Yeah, I have so many thoughts on this uh, yes. because I get that all the time. And people are like, oh, one person isn't going to make a difference. And I'm like, well, I mean, yeah. But the fact is, is that in order for businesses and policy to react, the citizens have to be acting. Like we have to show that there's a demand. And so, yes, maybe me, Catherine Kellogg, one single person isn't going to make a huge impact. I get that. But when there's so many people on average, I believe it's a 3.5% of the population is like working on something, then action and policy typically follows. And so it's been really, really exciting to see how much awareness has been created in just a small, small amount of time. I mean, zero waste didn't really become mainstream, I guess, until 2015-ish. So like, this is basically what's happened in four years. And I think we've just seen so much, so much amazing policy on like single use plastic bans and even food waste bans. Like there's food waste bans in France where it's illegal to throw out good food. And I think that's a brilliant, brilliant piece of legislation. There's one here. I don't remember the name of it. It's not the Good Samaritan Act. It, um, you might know, but it's where um, it removes liability from people who donate food. Yeah, I think it is. It's something along those lines, Good Samaritan. Yeah, yeah. I've heard of what you're talking about. Yes, which is a great law um, that people need to be more aware of. And I'm hoping that eventually we will see, you know, laws that ban food waste from going to landfill. That would be really great to have it mandated going to compost. And then, of course, preventing edible food from being thrown away and instead having edible food redirected to people in need and um, or being sold in other locations. That's really important. You know, I think what you just said is, is so key that it's all about the landscape of, of choices out there and, and what is easiest or the path of least resistance, because that tends to be what both individuals, but also governments and businesses will do. So yeah, changing that landscape matters. But yeah, you have to show there's a, a proof of concept. You know, I think a landscape a lot of us are thinking about, and you, you brought it up at the start of the episode is is plastics. You know, you've, you're the National Geographic spokesperson for Plastic Free Living. I think that's amazing. I'd love to hear what's your take on plastic waste in 2019? you know, what gains have we made and kind of what do we have to tackle next? Yeah. So I know that a lot of people, (laughs) the 
Yes, there's a lot to do. Let's just put it that way. There's a, yeah. there's so much to do. However, I do think that there is so much awareness and like so much being highlighted right now around the plastic problem. I know that almost everyone now knows that, you know, saying no to straws is is a good thing to do. And that's great. But we we do have to look at larger plastics as well. And also with all these plastic bands, we're also having it's swapped for compostable products, but oftentimes there aren't composting facilities that are taking those products. So they're still going to landfill. And sometimes they're more resource intensive than plastic itself. So it's kind of this mixed bag. Being in sustainability is so hard because there's no one right answer. It's everything has an impact. Like you, you can't leave this earth without having an impact. And so every product has one. And then you have to look at all these different factors. What was the water that went into it? What were the other energy, other resources, end of life? It's just all of these things. And this is why the answer isn't necessarily plastic free. The answer is single use, ending single use. The problem is yes. the thing that is only used one time. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, that goes to back to what we we're talking about earlier, where, yeah, if the default option is something you use for a matter of seconds or minutes and then throw away, like we're just going to keep generating waste. Like we're, we're not going to be able to recycle our way out of that problem if the default is things being single use. But no, I, I love what you said there that, yeah, we got to, we got to get away from the single use paradigm. Cause yeah, it seems to me like that's where folks are trapped. Um, and I just, I love what you said also that really, everything has an impact. And I think a lot of people that want to be contrarian or kind of undercut environmentalists are always like, well, actually that has this impact. So it's not as sustainable as you think. And to me, that's just one like really unhelpful, but it's also like, like everything has an impact. Like you're not a genius by pointing that out. And in fact, like it's a lot more helpful and empowering to, to just be honest about the trade-offs you're making. Cause yeah, every decision you make, what you're eating, what you're drinking, where you're living, the clothing you're buying, like, yes, it all has a footprint, but you can't just like deny that and be like, well, I should stop trying things. It's like, I mean, that's such a, a you know, an unhelpful, uh, outlook to have. So I love that you're, you're bringing that up and, and opening that dialogue for folks. Cause you know, I really hope it can be a dialogue going forward of everyone just acknowledging, yeah, that things have a footprint and, and that's okay. But we just need to be honest about it. Absolutely. I totally agree. And it's also about, for me so much, it's about finding ways to continually use what I have and finding contentment. I always say that having contentment is one of the most radical things you can do today. Like just being content with what you have and who you are is so unbelievably radical because marketers just prey on your insecurities. They, and if you're really confident and comfortable with who you are, then you're going to be less susceptible to a lot of these things that are grabbing for your attention. Whoa. That's awesome. I, I hadn't, I kind of heard that in passing before, but I've never really hung out there before. Well, that's like, a, what a beautiful sentiment. Cause this is, I mean, I think a lot of folks are looking to go zero waste for the environmental benefits or even like the cost savings or just cause it's, it's something they want to model for their children perhaps. But I love that there's also this philosophical and kind of spiritual and uh, emotional angle to it, that this may just be the key to you being like a lot happier, honestly. I totally, I think so. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's great. And I mean, it makes sense too, because what you're talking about, like all of this stuff of decision fatigue and overwhelm and people bombarding you with, Hey, pay attention to this, buy this, try this. Like if you can tune most, if not all of that out, like that just cleans up your life in so many awesome ways. 
it's going back to that streamline. Yeah. So you're uh, what, what a great what a great um, precedent to set for folks. That, yeah, we can we can streamline, and there's actually a cascade of of positive benefits if if we can do it. You know, I think one environmental choice a lot of folks run into day to day is recycling, and I think it's kind of a hot uh, hot button issue these days. You know, what is your take on recycling in 2019, and kind of what do you think folks need to know about it? Oh, I also have some thoughts. I just did an entire YouTube series that I think was about an hour long on recycling. So I won't, I won't, I will, I will condense, I will condense. (laughs) But if you are unfamiliar, uh, in 2018, China put a ban on all paper and plastic imports, and they are the largest global buyers of our recycled products. This means that virtually none of our paper and plastic is currently being recycled unless there's a domestic market for it. And there's not many. So we're running into a lot of issues with a lot of our quote unquote recycling being landfilled. And if it's not actually being recycled, is it a recyclable? (laughs) So um, one of the best things that you can do is to go onto your waste management website, whoever your company and provider is, and see exactly what they take. Because so many of us participate in something called wish cycling, where we put it in our recycle bin and we just wish that it will be recycled, but it doesn't mean it will be. And it actually is causing more problems because if you take your pizza box, which is cardboard, but covered in grease and unrecyclable and put it in your recycle bin, then you have contaminated an entire bale of paper, which means that you could be responsible for sending an entire pallet basically, or larger of paper to the landfill. So it's so important that we're doing it correctly. And honestly, I have a ton of hope for the recycling system. I am actually very glad that things are broken, which I know might sound crazy, but in the U S we have single stream recycling, which means we put everything in one bin in a lot of other countries. They have multi-stream recycling and their recycling is a lot cleaner and it's a lot more clear about what is recycled because there's a specific bin for it. And I think that we're probably going to have to evolve into a multi-bin system, having one for glass, paper, and plastic, aluminum. I don't know if it'll be four. I don't know what it will look like. But I think if it's like this one item goes in this one bin, it cuts out a lot of that wish cycling it will keep our recycling much cleaner and it'll make our products way more valuable. So that is what I'm really hoping to see in the industry. But yeah, I know that was very long. So if you have any other specific recycling questions. No, that's, that's really helpful. I mean, I think the China thing is something everyone should just know at this point that, Hey, like we're in a different world now than we were pre 2018. And we all have to own up to that as consumers, as us citizens, you know, as citizens of the world like we're we're we all got to be responsible because kind of there is no away there never was but now the illusion of there being in a way when you throw something away is like i think truly gone and i think i, I love the point you brought up too that it's kind of time to reinvest in our infrastructure here at home because you know, as my understanding is we haven't really built new recycling facilities since like 2003 in the u.s because we got complacent you know, we're used to asia basically accepting our garbage and you know, now that they've stood up and said, hey, like, don't pollute us, it's uh, time to kind of own up to that and be responsible. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's a wake up call and waking, waking up can be hard. Like we all know that, but it's an important, important precedent for action, I think as well. I totally agree. And also, I just can't imagine a scenario in which it is 2019. And they're saying with everything else that's going on, and they're saying, hey, just so you know, we're no longer recycling. I just can't imagine a scenario in which that would fly with like the general public. Yeah, you know? totally. 
Yeah, I agree. I'm I, I I'm cautiously optimistic as well. I think this is a, a good wake up call for everybody. You know, for folks out there that are looking to get more educated about uh, waste and zero waste living, are there any books you'd recommend folks reading? Can I be shamelessly self promotional? Please. <laughs> So I have a book called 101 Ways to Go Zero Waste, and it's a really great actionable handbook. So you can pick any of the 101 tips and just go with it. You can read it cover to cover, or you can find exactly what you're looking for and go. It was the book that I wish that I have when I started going zero waste. So that would be one of my recommendations. But if you want to get kind of deeper into sustainability and really understanding more about the climate crisis and drawing carbon out of the atmosphere and how the, what solutions and actions we can take, this is another very hopeful book by Paul Hawken called Drawdown. Mm -hmm. And I highly recommend it. It is a little... Um, I'm not sure what the word I'm looking for. It's a little more scientific reading, but it still is accessible in my opinion. Yeah, I would second that recommendation, the Drawdown one. I mean, obviously folks should check out your book too. It's an amazing book and so actionable. But yeah, the Drawdown, the Project Drawdown, is, I think is just so helpful as a way to wrap your head around like what are all the different ways we as a society could tackle climate change. And yeah, I think it's, it's worthy of more attention and, and focus for sure. Can um, I share a cute anecdote? Yes, please do. So the first year wedding anniversary is paper. And my husband for our anniversary got me a signed copy of Drawdown. That is adorable. What a right? man. He did so good. That's a that's a great find, both a gift and a husband. Wow, that's I awesome. Know. I got I him a map. So like <laughs> That's really that's really touching. I love that. If you're game, I'd love to do a quick little thought experiment. Let's say you're your your president right now, President Kellogg here, and you get to make a few basic changes to our society with the goal of making it much less wasteful. You know, what are a couple changes or policies you'd really want to see put into place? I'm ready. Mandatory composting. No more okay. organics allowed to go to landfill. Off strong start. That's a very strong start. School gardens. I would have gardens in schools and that way they could grow their own produce and they could also get interested in composting and we could talk about all of like different waste management. I think that would be really, really important. And then my third thing, let's see. Hmm. Hmm. I would put a limit on plastics by weight. So it would be a law to enact if it weighed under a certain percentage, like it was a really lightweight plastic, it wouldn't be allowed. So that way it would have to be something that would be more of a reusable plastic. Um, and would love, love, love to see, you know, refills being pop, like popped up, like all over, like having grocery stores have like bulk offerings and refills. And I love what Loop is doing right now with the bags being delivered because I don't think that de grocery delivery is going anywhere. So making it as, like, as accessible and easy for people to have options for refill available, I'm down. Those would be my three things. Those are strong things. Now, on, the, on the second one, have you seen the Wasted documentary that Anthony Bourdain put together? Yes, I saw it at the Napa Valley Film Fest and they did like a cooking demo with it and it was amazing. It's a really great documentary. If folks haven't seen it, please check it out. And there's a really touching segment where they're in a school. I think it's in New Orleans and yes. they're teaching the kids what you're talking about. They're showing them here's where your food comes from. And I have never seen kids that excited to be at school. Honestly, like their eyes were lit up and they were so excited and asking great questions. And I just think so many things come together when you teach people about food. You know, you're learning about history and culture and biology and math and 
you know, science and all this stuff. And I, I love that as a, as a thought experiment and, and something we could use more of. And then, you know, with the plastics thing, I think, again, a really great point. And, you know, I think in South Korea, they have like minimums on, or they have like basically quotas on like how much waste you as an individual can produce. And what it means is people are much less wasteful because they get fined if they create too much trash, which is, I know that sounds like draconian to us in the U.S., but on some level it's effective. I love that. Oh, also like container. I know I, I the, you know, the deposit systems. we need more deposit systems. Totally. Help. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we're, we live in a society where money makes the world go around. So on some level, if there's not a financial incentive, a lot of stuff just doesn't happen. So yeah, totally. definitely, definitely got to sit with that. You've accomplished so much already, you know, have a huge Instagram following. You have an awesome book. What What's next for you? Well, um, there's something very, very big and very, very exciting. That is my dream that I can't talk about, but it is coming up <laughs> and it's going to be awesome. And I'm also working on my second book. Excellent. Any details and- you can share about the second book? Yes. And there's one other project. Um, I'm also working with Skillshare. Um, they are going to be filming a series and they're going to come out to my house and I'm going to show them around. So that class will be on Skillshare pretty soon, which I'm really excited about. And the second book is a youth book. So it's, I'm so excited. It's going to be pretty short around, you know, 75, 80 pages, and it's going to be illustrated and the illustrations are adorable. And it's really geared towards, um, 10 to 13 year olds. And just about how they can make a positive impact in their own environment with their parents involved or without their parents involved, no matter where their parents fall on the spectrum. That is so cool. Talk about uh, creating change. And and I love that that and your garden idea, you know, you're starting young. And I think that's such an important way to make changes is start with young people. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. That's really awesome. Um, what a, what an awesome note to end on. I'd love to transition to the, the speed round here and get to some closing questions. Are you ready to go? I'm so ready. Okay. So these are eight questions, eight's my lucky number to get to know you a little bit better and, and end on a, on a fun note here. Okay. So first one is, is there anything you wish I'd asked that I didn't or something you wanted to talk about in more depth? I don't think so. I did have one anecdote about the garden, which which just inspired me to remember. Um, in third grade, my Spanish class, we planted a garden in my Spanish class, and we did all. Then we learned all the names of the vegetables we planted in Spanish. That's <laughs> so, yeah. so cool. Gardens, gardens. There's so many different ways to use a school garden to uh, to teach so many different subjects. Yeah. Yeah, I have a couple pepper plants growing outside of my apartment and I've learned so much just watching them grow, honestly, this summer. So yeah, definitely impactful, impactful stuff. Uh, what's a positive change you've made in your life in the past year that you think folks listening should try? Oh, there's so many. Um, I'm just going to tell you my top three favorite zero waste swaps, if that's okay. Please do. The day attachment will change your life. A bidet attachment will change your life. Um, reusable menstrual products will also change your life. And then the third one is I've started using my French press to make loose leaf tea. Whoa. Life-changing. That's awesome. Those are three awesome tips. <laughs> if you're cooking for someone and you want to make them feel loved, what are you going to make them? Probably I'm going to deep fry cauliflower Ooh, <laughs> and cover it in buffalo sauce. That sounds awesome. I've heard and about gen- potatoes. That sounds so good. I've heard about General So's cauliflower too. Like you can do like a sweet and sour version. That sounds really good. Oh, now I want cauliflower. Um, what's an ingredient that you couldn't live without? Buffalo sauce. <laughs> are you, are you, are you, did you grow up eating a lot of buffalo things or? I'm from Arkansas. Ah. So 
So doing like fried foods and mashed potatoes and like Southern food is, yeah, I'm a real big fan. I also grew up really allergic to dairy. So mm. um, there's not a lot of sauces that you can eat when you're allergic to dairy. So while everyone was dipping everything in ranch, I just became obsessed with buffalo sauce and still am very in love with it. Mm. It is a very delicious sauce for sure. Um, what is your least favorite thing to waste? Food. Food. Absolutely. Strong, strong statement. Um, and what's your go-to karaoke song? <laughs> so I majored in musical theater and um, I'm not sure if anyone is familiar with the four chord song, but it's yes. Yes. So I put down, um, I just forgot the name of the song. I'm not doing real well from remembering names today. Um, what's that journey song? Don't stop believing. So yeah, yeah. I sit down, don't stop believing. But then I sing the four chord song to that tune. For the, for those that haven't heard of the four chord song, can you explain a bit? What what is it? So there are four chords in popular music that make up almost all popular music and so they all fit into the one tune of don't stop believing so if you can think about that tune so many of your favorite songs include that yep uh including that new song by taylor swift me apparently is that same chord progression it's like we got some one of the most common chord progressions in pop it's like can you feel the love tonight it's it's in everything yes yeah i like two paparazzi by lady gaga yeah. um the if i were a boy is in yep. there country roads like <laughs> literally like every, pachelbel's canon and d is in there as well like it is it is spanned throughout history these four chords that's crazy we've just been nerding out in the same four chords we should i don't know if we can invent more chords but it seems like we're overdue <laughs> for that <laughs> that's that's awesome yeah definitely check it there's a funny youtube video about the four chord song we can post it in the show notes folks to check it right. out it's qu quite entertaining as well um who's someone you admire tremendously and what do you admire about them so I know that, uh, I hope this is okay. My grandmother, I mean, she passed and she's who I dedicated my book to, but she's yeah. like the most amazing person I've ever met. She was such a badass and she literally gave up. She was a, a businesswoman in the 1960s, a single businesswoman in the 1960s. She made, was making a killing. She was so good. She owned a catering company um, or a food truck, like back when like it was a, she called it a catering company, but they did food trucks and lunches and stuff like that. But then she sold everything and donated all of it to charity and spent her entire time dedicated to the food for kids program, driving around and like delivering food to kids who were hungry. So, wow. What yeah. A, what, she's a really cool lady. What a gem of a human being. It, it makes so much sense that you came from this lineage, right? Like starting off with compassion and generosity and that, that model of, of hard work and paying it forward. What a, what an awesome role model to have growing up. Yeah, I would spend every summer with her. And I remember we would always wake up at 5 a.m. and we would get on the road and we would drive the trucks. And it was so important because in summer, there's no, you know, there's no school, there's no lunch. And so some of these kids, that was the only meal they would get all day. And so we would go and provide summer lunches for them. Wow. That's awesome. That's, I, I hope, I hope more people can have experiences with their grandparents like that. Like what a cool thing to do together. Me too. Yeah, that's, me too. That's really special. Thank you for sharing that. And um, to close it out here, who? Uh, what are you grateful for this week? So many. It's, these questions are hard. So many things. It's so many things. Um, you know, this week I have to say, 
gosh, I feel like all my answers can be so cheesy. Um, so I'm obviously, I'm so grateful for my husband. He is so amazing. He is so busy at work, but he still helps me out so much because he knows how busy I am with all of my stuff going on. I am thankful for the beautiful weather that we've been having. And I've been able to go on so many long walks with my dog. And I'm so excited. I'm speaking at a conference this weekend and I'm so grateful for that opportunity. And I'm so grateful to be chatting with you. This has been fabulous. So yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm so grateful for, for everything that's happening right now. That's awesome. And what it's, you acted like it was a bad thing. What a first world problem to have so many things to be grateful for. <laughs> I just feel like sometimes it's like, oh, it's just so cliche. You know, it's like, I feel like everything I was going to say was cliche, but I don't, you know. I don't, and the gratitude is never cliche. And, and yeah, no, you don't, no need to worry about being cheesy. Okay. Um, that's, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing all of that as well. You know, Catherine Kellogg, thank you so much for joining us today. Where can folks learn more about you and the work that you do? Yeah. So you can head to my website, which is goingzerowaste.com. And if you want to connect with me on social, you can find my Instagram link there, or you can type in my handle, which is going.zero.waste. Awesome. And we'll have links to everything we talked about today in our show notes and on our website, unwastedpodcast.com. And if you listening have any questions or comments, please shoot us an email at feedback at unwastedpodcast.com. Catherine Kellogg, thanks again. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. 